Merry Christmas. He is risen. Christ has died. Pretty good. I've been slacking off, not using that as much. You're holding on pretty well. Let's try the first one, though. That should be the easy one, right? Merry Christmas. There you go. It's Advent 4, again, as I said a few moments ago, but it's also Christmas Eve. And truly, Christmas time begins with Advent 1. One of the things I waited too long to repent of this year was uh, not saying Merry Christmas enough. I don't know whether it was the shaming from the TV or just my own normal embarrassment as a human that led me to stop saying Merry Christmas just randomly to people on the streets during December. I don't know, sometime in my 20s probably. I don't know when it happened, when it fell out of my mouth. But no, this year it came back, but it was just like four or five days ago. I'm really looking forward to next year, if we have one, where we'll be able to say Merry Christmas all of Adventide. Have you noticed? Do you pay attention to such things? Do people say Merry Christmas to you? Uh, what happens when you say it? What I found this year that was so pleasurable was mostly the people will brighten up, look back at you, and say Merry Christmas. They actually get kind of excited. There's the fun little happy holidays you get every so often, which is kind of, it's joyful too for me when they don't like it. It's great, right? Because let's take Christ's name back from the abomination they are making it. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Christ is the greatest man who ever lived. Jesus of Nazareth is the God who is born in Bethlehem to die for our sins. And right now what we're going to do is look at a prophecy of his coming from Deuteronomy chapter 18. So again, if you've got Bibles, if you've got the bulletin, you know, open up and find your way there is verses 18 to 25. Uh, excuse me, 15 to 25 that we'll be focused on here. I'm saying that completely wrong. 15 to 22, we'll be focused on here. Inside of this text, there's another story that's referenced, and I want to tell that story before we dig into it. And, and that story that will be referenced is one I know you've heard before. It's connected to the Exodus. I know you've heard of the Exodus before, right? Crossing of the Red Sea. The Red Sea is getting some attention in the news. Have you noticed? Goodness gracious, the Red Sea, it still matters. A big, big strip of water. Of course, most people don't believe God could open that, right? Most people don't believe God could open that because most people don't believe in God. See, uh, they talk about God. They don't believe in God. Um, the Red Sea is uh, crossed by the people. And they're at Mount Sinai, which is, the liberals believe, this really big rock, a mountain they call Sinai. It's on all the maps, and you don't have to cross the Red Sea to get there. I think they were in Arabia somewhere, Saudi Arabia today, where they're fighting over the oil or whatever, blah, blah. Somewhere there's a mountain. And the people of Israel are at this mountain as a giant city on the march. They're all living in tents. They pick it up and take it down. And man, nobody envies this. You do not envy this. Okay, Don't envy these people. This was hard. And they're at this mountain. And they've been told to prepare themselves for days. Because if things go wrong, they're all going to die. Straight up. Like, if you get too close, you die. That's it. Why? God's coming. The one who split the water. He's going to come hang out for a while. And when he does, it's this giant burning fireball of, I don't even know, cloudy glory. Our, our visualization of things like this is desensitized by our movies today. It's too easy to imagine an explosion. You close your eyes, you can just do it. It's mad. Explosion. It's really easy, right? But this thing, I mean, can you, can you stand at the foot of a mountain in your mind right now? And I look up and see the whole thing like Mount Doom, right? <laughs> I mean, a fire god from, from Greek mythology has descended in all his cloudy darkness upon this thing. 
Nah. And you're the guy who led you out of Egypt, who was Pharaoh's like ex-kid, <laughs> all the weirdness of the story, right? Uh, he goes up into the fire, doesn't come back for over a month. That's when the golden cow thing happens. I mean, they were, they were pretty sure the fire god killed him. And like, whatever he did was wrong, let's do something different. Well, maybe that's what they said. Aaron certainly said it that way. Yeah? Uh, he came up with good excuses for his, his evil. That said, when Moses finally gets past all of that, and they come down and they're, they're going to handle the whole covenant thing. There's a moment where the Ten Commandments are not given by Moses on stone tablets, but are spoken by God himself as a voice from that cloud of glory on Sinai. And everything shakes and it's just terrifying as all get up. And the thing that the people of Israel do next is they say, Moses, we get it. That's God. So make him stop. And Moses kind of turns to God is like, you know, what am I supposed to do with these people? And God's like, no, it's a good idea. And that's what kind of comes out here now in, in the text. Okay, so we're going to get into Deuteronomy. We're later. We're 40 years later. They've gone through the wilderness. They forgot, to, you know, uh, 10 were bad and 2 were good. All that stuff, right? It's all past now. Moses, he's, he, he talked to the rock, the water came. He hit the rock, the water came. Now he's going to die and not go in because he hit the rock, right? All that stuff has gone past. And the second giving of the law in Deuteronomy is, is his goodbye, I'm going to die moment. And this section again, Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 15, is where he says, so now that I'm gone, what next? And it says that the Lord your God, verse 15, Deuteronomy 18, will raise up for you a prophet like me from the midst, your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Deuteronomy 18, 15. Now, if, if you read the Bible in order, uh, meaning chronologically, you'll find out that it's a while before any prophets show up. It's a good, long while before any prophets show up. So they wait for this prophecy to be fulfilled like past and into David's time, right? I, um, prophets are something that only come about once the time of the judges is generally over. What happens next is the time of the judges, and that's its own like little story right there. But can you see then that from the beginning, we've been waiting for a great man? Can you see that? And this goes back, Genesis 3. This goes to them right here now. And let me just take a moment and talk about all that stuff that's happening all over the world. You want a nice little key to understand all the stories right now? doesn't matter which side you're on of whatever what you want the key is. It's all looking for a great man to save us. Every single story. Who's the great man who will save us? Is it Donald or Joseph? I don't know. Really? That's the best we got on the whole planet is those two. And again, you know, say what you will about either one of them. Really? That's the greatest, most powerful we have, or maybe King Charles. <laughs> no one's waiting for him. Uh, but there's somebody out there that you're waiting for and you're looking to them. And if only they can, then we'll be, right? That's the key to the way they're controlling information. They know you hunger for a savior. And if you don't have one, you're going to believe whatever one seems greatest right now to this world. Which is why remembering your salvation is in the name of Jesus Christ is how you stay a Christian in an age of great men. Great women too, right? Rawr. Let's fight about it. <laughs> yeah. And that's what we're doing. That's what an age of great men does. They fight. You know, you know who the great man is? They're going to study great man theory. There's a whole thing called great man theory that people argue about if they're really smart. Yeah? And, and great man theory is all about how did Napoleon do what he did? 
And then they jump back to Alexander. And you know who those guys are, right? Well, they're, see, they're great men, right? And right now, we're in a time where we're all wanting someone to be a great man for us. And that's why we shout for whatever party we're for, whatever group we're about, or whatever music we listen to, is we're hungering for the great man. And again, God said, through Moses, I'm going to raise up one. Not many. One. A prophet like you. And it doesn't happen for a long time. And then some prophets actually show up and they're not the one. Elijah sure seems powerful though when he comes along. Man, that guy, he's doing stuff Moses didn't even dream of doing. Yeah. And so people do think he's the prophet. And after he's taken to heaven, <laughs> yeah, there's prophecies about him coming back before the real one comes, right? That's how the Old Testament ends. Malachi, right? My messenger will come before your face. John the Baptist, we just did all this. All right, so... The prophet, the one prophet who will come is clearly Jesus Christ. He'll be from your midst, from your brethren. This is the rest of verse 15 still, right? That, that he is a Jew. He is a Jew by blood. He's a Jew by birth. He's a Jew by understanding. He is raised to know the Hebrew scriptures, probably spoke Aramaic, probably also spoke Greek, was a carpenter from the line of David. He was a Jew. And so anybody who wants to talk about anti-Semitism or hating Jews or hating blacks or hating whites or hating whoever doesn't know Jesus very well because the dividing wall of hostility between so-called races, between the tribes, between the families, between the cultures, between your enemies, it's been broken down by the blood of Jesus. And so again, these stories that they tell us we really want to detach ourselves from some of their narrative more and more. Put yourself in the story of the Bible. Don't let the story of Americana take you off the edge with the rest of everybody. If they all want to go nuts, they can't. We don't have to. We can just keep going about daily life. We'll still be here. That's the promise of the Bible again and again to Christians forever. You're going to still be here. Just keep going. Just keep trusting. Keep calling on the name of Jesus, who is again this prophet who came, and here's the commandment now, right? At rest of verse 15 into 16, him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. Right? So there's where that whole story comes back. Moses is going to die. He says, God's going to raise up another prophet like me, but greater. And he is the answer to you saying, don't let the fire God talk anymore. The answer is a baby born in Bethlehem to be king. Told by Moses way back when. And he says, when that baby comes, when he becomes a man and starts to talk, what's it say? It says, listen to him. Hear him. And it doesn't take long in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whichever one, to figure out that there's those who hear what Jesus says and there's those who don't hear what Jesus says. And those who hear what Jesus says love him and find all manner of hope. And those who don't love what Jesus says, they actually get together and kill him eventually and then find out that they can't. Not really. Not in the end. He doesn't stay dead, you see. That's our king now again. That's your king today. So whatever election is going on, whatever country, whether it's fair, just, or not, there's a king who's in the high king's chair on the almighty throne. 
And even if, you know, someone wants to set himself up and say, I speak for the entire church on earth and we're going to start blessing same-sex unions. That's not done without Jesus knowing what's going on. And here's the thing about Jesus. He says in this text, if you say something I didn't say, it'll show. It'll show. And let me say, Lutherans, this is our moment. We've been waiting for 500 years for everybody to get mad at the Pope again. Goodness gracious, this is the problem. He says he speaks for us. That's why we call him the Antichrist, because he doesn't speak for all of us, because he says things that are against Christ. And this is not news. This is old. This is so old. We got our own buildings. Huh? Lutherans. What are we here for? This. To know that there's only one prophet to be raised up and we shall hear what he says. And if another comes afterwards saying different things, we shall cast mud at him. <laughs> Luther said dung, actually. I like Luther was cute that way. You know, but but we, shall re- we, we, we shall resist, right? We shall resist. Now is the time to trust in the words of Jesus. Okay, so back to uh, verse 16, 17. We kind of finished that. Um, but a- according to all your desire, just... See how in God's hearing, man's fear of God in his fiery wrath, God says, you should fear me that way. And that's not really the way you should see me. It's better that you see me as I am, which is in fact a lot more like you than you realize. Here, wait a few millennia and I'll join you. And then he did. And this is Merry Christmas, right? Merry Christmas. Right? So the cross and his death and his passion and his zeal, let it not be forgot at Christmas time. He was born to die. But don't miss the marvel of the incarnation itself that God wanted to be here. I had a friend say to me, uh, extended friend, not a close friend, friend though, friend, I care, say to me, I don't want to be here. I don't know why God gave me this life. This is the last four months someone said that to me. I don't want to be here. I don't know why God gave me this life. And I, I was not in a position to turn his heart. I couldn't. I, I, I don't have the power to say, well, he gave you this life because he loves you. I may have said that. And he's, well, if he loves me, why am I in so much pain? Well, the answer is because of your sin, actually. But I don't do anything wrong. Uh, yeah. I mean, if that's ever your answer, you're wrong, <laughs> right? Uh, no matter what, right? But, but it's not like God's up there just trying to like tit for tat you. That, that's not the thing either. It's just if he allows you to be evil long enough, then you will destroy yourself and he's going to stop you. So he puts these like roadblocks in the way called thorns. You can't go that far. It'll kill you. Yeah, so you stop and you stay in place and the evil's in put in place so that he can do what he wanted to do from, I think, before we fell, which is become one of us. So the question of why has he let me endure this pain, the answer is, I don't know, but he thought it was worth enduring because he did it too. Like if I created a universe I was going to become incarnate in, that's not where I'd end up. Right? Right? Can we all get an amen to that? None of us are going to plan crucifixion of ourselves in in our incarnations. Like no one's planning that. Right. Amen. Thank you. But he did because he loves you that much. Because he made you to be his own. And Moses, which the next thing I want to say about Moses is that he's hard to read. So we're reading a legal code as I'm preaching about Jesus to you. 
Moses is legal code. It is very important legal code. Can you imagine living in tents in the desert with just word of mouth by which, you know, over a million people are getting along? <laughs> I mean, what happens when like you and you who don't know each other, but are like city apart, getting a fight over your cow, right? How do we handle this? Nobody was murdered. Nobody committed adultery. Nobody stole. But there's an argument about, you know, standing stones and where your space should be or whatever like that, right? Moses is a large answer from God on that. So all the while they're in the wilderness, every case that comes to Moses, he goes into the tent and the cloud comes down and gives him an answer to the case. But that means you're reading court law. And even here where Moses is prophesying about the prophet who will come like him, after him, who is like him, he's prophesying like an ancient desert Magi court historian lawyer, right? It's going to sound odd the way he says it. I think that's good. I think learning that is good. I think learning that when Jesus comes, he sounds different and he doesn't sound like anybody else you ever heard. I think that's good too. And if you really want to see that one, here's you know a low-hanging candy for those of you who are intellectual enough and have the time, learn a little Greek and read some Jesus in the Greek. It will you'll you'll think Alexander the Great was interesting, <laughs> but not like this guy. Uh, these words, these words. Okay, so this prophet were to hear him. That's the idea I've been kind of going around on. Verse 17, and the Lord said to me, what I have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Now, do you ever catch yourself when Jesus is talking, particularly in John that you feel like he's maybe going round and round about a thing? Maybe not. One of the things I feel like he goes round and round about is how he doesn't speak for himself. Like, I don't walk around and I'm like, hey, just so you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing a message from your mother about how you need to take the trash out. Right? I just go and say, take the trash out. Right? But Jesus is like constantly like, I don't speak for myself. I speak for the one who sent me. I can only say what I've been given to say. I can only get what I've been given to take, right? He, he talks that way. And, and this is the idea here, right? That he is, he is saying to everyone, I'm fulfilling this. He's not talking about his limitations. He's talking about his fulfillment. That this text, the prophecy of the prophet who will only say what he's been given by God, Jesus Christ from Nazareth, every single word is the word of the almighty Yahweh in a man's mouth. More so than any prophet has ever been before or since. To quote him is to quote God. And that is, again, what is prophesied here. Verse 19, it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him, right? He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. There is no way to the Father except through him. The argument that we have been silenced by over these last decades and century in America is that it's kind of mean. What a mean salvation. He only saves the people that he saves. He doesn't let other saviors do it. So if you call on another God, you call on some other Savior, he doesn't save you, and that's mean. Why don't all paths lead to God? That would be nice. And again, we've just sat back and let the emotions of that nonsense silence us for a long, long time. Now, it's not mean to save people who are drowning. It's not mean to save people who fight you when they're drowning. When they fight you so much that they drown themselves, well, that was them. And that's the doctrine of election in a nutshell right there. Huh? Jesus will require it of you if you hate him. 
He's not going to let that go on forever. And even though it looks like those who hate him get to run the world right now and do all manner of wickedness, unlike live TV again, it's disgusting what they're doing. Uh, he is not sleeping. He is not hiding. And there are enough places in the Old Testament that say this. I feel comfortable saying it now to you. Do you know why he lets it go on? Do you know what he's doing? He's letting them lead themselves up to a higher cliff. So when they throw themselves off, it will be evident for everybody, and most people will repent. That's what he's doing. He did it for Pharaoh. He's done it many times since. He's bringing about repentance. And in fact, our repentance today, as we gather here to praise his name, is a result of it. If today was all fine and flourishing and everything was great, you had another extra thousand bucks this month to throw around, you might be shopping right now, right? Getting dinner ready, right? Yeah, so, so the, the pain again isn't his hatred of you. And his word and his work in you is so much bigger than what you can see that you simply must believe that this king of the universe has put you here today for such a time as this to believe that he is the great man. And that however much you have believed or not believed before this moment, it is again a day to commit your heart to his holy name and say to everyone you can, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. There you go. And again, well, so let's just take it right there then. And the one who can't say Merry Christmas back to you, just think on that. The one who, who will not hear the name of Jesus, think on that. God will require it of him. What should you do if you're walking through the store and you say Merry Christmas to someone and they go Happy Holidays again with the angry, angry frown? They don't say anything at all. What should you do? Let me suggest that right away you categorize that person as your enemy. I mean this. Create a category in your head called enemy. And that person who scowled at you in rudeness was your enemy. And then do what Jesus said. Love your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Now, loving your enemy as you walk into the store while they're scowling at you probably means get out of their hair. Really. Probably does. Yeah? Uh, but you can say hallelujah for them anyway, and you can say Merry Christmas to the next person you see and not let it bother you. Uh, and that would be a prayer I think Jesus will answer in here and forward. Uh, that's what I'm getting at here. The power that we have as Christians is right in our mouths the moment we realize we don't have to be silent. We don't have to be silent. No? Ah, verse uh, 19. No, verse 20. But the prophet who presumes, now it gets to the warning. You're in the legal code now, and we kind of end with some harshness. Yeah, The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. I mean, I'm, I'm not advocating that we murder the Pope, by the way. I'll just let you know. Moses, legal code. Is Moses legal code? But I, I do think you should see that if the Pope were doing what the Pope were doing in Moses' camp, the Pope would be dead. That's how it worked in Israel. Like, and Moses didn't have to carry this stuff out. The earth swallowed people, right? And now he's saying going forward, the earth won't swallow people. You in Israel, you in the nation that will bring about David and Jesus, you're supposed to kill the false prophets. Now we're Christians. We're Gentiles of the nations who come to know Christ, and we see that they took this pretty seriously now, didn't they? We're to do it with wisdom and love, understanding. Uh, which means that, you know, who's got the power to go kill anybody these days except the people who, well, we'll leave that where it is. It's not our job to kill the false prophets. It's our job to silence them in our own ears. It's your job to turn it off when it's lying, right? And if you know, if you say in your heart, how shall we know? <laughs> how am I going to know what God really wants? Uh, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? 
Well, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So I really suggest that you don't believe that prophets are too active today, just as a general rule. I know there are whole swaths of American Christianity that want to believe in the gift of prophecy still alive today. I much prefer the gift of prayer. Right? I can I can tell what's coming in my head if I think long enough. I can I can see tomorrow and next week enough that I have great fears. And I can even say to my neighbor, I'm concerned this may come to pass, right? But I don't, I'm not a prophet, <laughs> right? I'm just kind of smelling the weather. But then this may come to pass, I shall pray about and for and toward these things. Now that's what we have the power to be. It's even greater than prophecy in some ways, right? We're not here to declare what shall be. We're to realize we can't make it and ask the one who does to resolve it for us in the full conviction that he will every day, every week, every month, every life, every family, every congregation, every country. And that's what it means to have a God who's truly God, who really wants to reign. So, what does that mean for you now? How shall you know where the words to trust are? It's as simple as the Bible is inspired and without error according to its original manuscripts. Now, someone will say, but we don't have those. And I'll say, you're right. But we have so many copies that anybody who studies ancient manuscripts has to admit nobody has copies like we got copies. We got so many copies, there's no way it didn't exist. There's no way it didn't say what it says. That's what we can know scientifically. We are more certain that the New Testament texts of the Bible are from the time and places that they are than you can be certain that Homer was a person. That is a fact. Jesus being a person is attested to outside of the scriptures. And then you have these four gospels, four witness testimonies written by those who saw and studied the entire thing at the time, delivered at the time in ways that everyone who studies it with a care to the text knows like even the liberals can't put Luke outside of 70. They can't. They want to. They want him in 200 or 300. Because then they can tell you that it was all made up later. Right? But they can't. So again, how do you hear Jesus? This book, the Bible, I said the original languages, studying them is great. Translations are good. Translations are usually better than they should be. Because the word of God is filled with his Holy Spirit. And so it is promised that his word will do more than we can imagine. That doesn't mean that there aren't bad translations. And the reason why we're looking at the ESV versus the New King James is because the ESV, frankly, is a mediocre translation, which in my mind, if you're dealing with holy things, that's bad, right? I want a great translation. I want the best I can find. And after much study, New King James is where it's at, unless we're going to do it all ourselves. And come on, Lutherans, let's not do that again. <laughs> uh, all this is to say, get into your Bible, no matter what translation you have, and if you've got a question about what it says, keep reading, because there'll be more. And the value of the Bible's size is that Scripture interprets Scripture. It works with itself, right? And so over time, the clear makes the unclear become more clear. And if you want even more of a key, start with the Psalms and Proverbs. Throw the name of Jesus in for spice, you'll find some fun. Uh, the Bible is without error, it is inspired, and it is for you to carry and study and eat and live with as the certainty of God's incarnate presence with you to be confirmed again and again by your feasting on his flesh and blood, which of course can't be done without somehow remembering that you are washed by him with regeneration. Yeah. All of that to now maybe leap us over to the Magnificat that closes just a few minutes here in Luke chapter uh, 1, starting at verse 46. 
where I will hope that Paul's words, rejoice in the Lord always, can just bounce us over to this song from Mary that's about Mary. And we sang, you know, the angel Gabriel from heaven came and we lauded Mary this morning. That's a very not Lutheran thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. The first time I saw that hymn, I was like, what is this thing? You know, um, and then I read it carefully, and then I read Luke, and I realized it's just Luke, <laughs> so I can't get too mad at it. The key for the hymn is the Gloria at the end isn't the Gloria to Mary. That's the key. Now it's the history of what happened to Mary and Gloria to Jesus, Gloria to God. And that's what's going to happen with the angels, right? In the same book, book of Luke. But here, Mary, though, she will acknowledge in this that like she's special. She actually is. She's so special. She's more special than any woman there ever was. Does that make her better than you? This is important. Does that make her better than you? Husbands and wives, the husband is your head in the home. Does that make him better than you? Can you see what stupid questions we come up with with given enough time? Huh? It really isn't about that, but she is special. And everything about her being special, God wants in you as you, not Mary, as you. As your life here in this world, this time with your faith in the same God, the same Savior. I'm kind of glad I didn't have to stand at the foot of the cross and watch my son get crucified. Personally, that, that wasn't one I was looking forward to, right? I'm still not, you know? Uh, and so again, when she speaks of herself, I'm going to go past it as she says it. When she speaks of herself, see it though. It's good. It's good. And then look at what flows out of it for the rest of us. Here we go. The Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. She sings to the sky. She can't keep it in. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. All comfort, all hope, all her energy now has just become something she has to say. Why? He has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. She says, I'm nobody. That's why. I'm nobody. For behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. I'm going to be famous. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I'm going to be famous for nothing I really ultimately do. I'm going to be famous because of Jesus. The name Jesus, which he's already been given. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So, so she gets to be holy by being close to Jesus as his mother, come to faith in him that way. But his mercy now is poured out to anyone and everyone who fears Christ which is to say, just bow at his knee, bow, bow, bow your knee before him, lift your voice to him, call on his name. The sign of faith in Christ is you call on Christ. That's it. You don't need anything more to prove it to yourself. No. He has shown strength with his arm. She mentions this, this calls to mind everything from the Old Testament, from the Exodus to the return from exile. Strength with his arm scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Great wisdom there. Great wisdom. When you see the strong man, the mighty man, the proud man succeeding, just understand God is scattering him. God is scattering him. It's okay. Let him be. Don't get in the way. You might get crushed, right? He scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. They're dreaming. He has put down the mighty from their thrones. I mean, how quickly can the tables turn when we find out you've been doing illegal things? <laughs> he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. One of the best things of the last three years is that every local community that I know of, that I've been to, realizes how important it is to be a local community. It's fine to have national narratives and truths that we know are about greater things. That's not wrong. But it's wrong to destroy the local for the sake of the national. Because then there's no national left. There's nothing left at that point. And what I love about St. Paul, what I love about Rockford, Winnebago County, 
is how we are. We are the lowly. We're the flyover country. We're the part they don't care about. And yet, we're exalted right here today. Nothing more is needed than today. Merry Christmas. We know what the wicked of the world can never know. Peace. Peace. Hope. Yeah. He has filled the hungry with good things. That's you. The rich who are out shopping right now, he sends them away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as I spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And that's a link to, you can see Zechariah's prophecy on the page right next to it. It kind of continues as a song. You get this glorious exaltation of all the historical promises. We kind of looked at that last week. We'll just close here for the morning, because there's more tonight, uh, with just this, this subtle suggestion that we live in a time when everyone is looking for a great man to save them. Merry Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.